gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. My name is Elise Tekliam, once again joined by my friend Rian. Rian, it's a, it's a lovely Wednesday. We had a short work week this week. We got a lot to talk about, so uh, how's it going? How are you doing this week? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Just have the uh, U.S. Open on in the background here. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty um, pretty excited. It's, uh, football season, NFL season starts again this week. It's back tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pumped. Eagles play on Sunday. I haven't uh, – it's been – I've obviously been watching the Eagles while at college and stuff, but I haven't watched a game with my dad in a, in like four, at least four years now. So yeah, that should be interesting. That'll be fun. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We don't have that uh, that kind of time all the time to to come back and watch football and, yeah. and just like sit on the couch and chill. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for football football to be back. Um, I did not draft very well at all in fantasy this season, so uh, I, I guess I'm kind of excited to watch. But I'm definitely not going to be checking any scores uh, <laughs> outside of like, the Eagles this weekend. Yeah, I'm yeah. just not. It's yeah. going to be terrible. Um, yeah. But no, it's been it's been a good week too. Uh, we we both were pretty busy this week. I was in DC, but you were you were all over the place too. Yeah, yeah. I went to a couple a couple music festivals this weekend. It, they were uh, fun. Very oh, tired. Yeah, flex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> You're the one that brought it up. To be honest, uh, true. Yeah. I <laughs> know. Um, uh, no, 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 they were fun. Um, really tiring. Really tiring. But and I. And uh, but a lot of fun, a really, really, really good time. Um, basically, like kind of snuck into the. Um, it's not VIP, but like on Sunday at uh, at Main America, if you know where the like, the uh, where the, uh, the art museum stage is, right? Yeah, like you know how there's the fountain there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like. I guess not. I don't want to call it VIP because like VIP is really like closer to the stage, but uh, that's like a kind of closed off area that you need like a wristband for. And me and a few of my friends that were there uh, kind of finagled our way in there. You know, there was like two wristbands, but we kind of one person kind of uh didn't fully put the wristband on and then pass it off to me while they were walking in and uh, and I kind of and I walked in with the wristband too so you know we kind of snuck our way all three of us in so that was and that made it obviously a lot better the view was like a lot better for the uh for the main event to uh, Travis Scott so that was a that was an interesting that was an interesting part of it that made it definitely a lot more fun damn yeah, that's uh, another huge flex on uh, whatever episode we're on now on the overlap. But yeah, no, that, that I mean that sounds amazing. I uh, I haven't been to like a proper music festival or concert in the longest time. Yeah. So I like now that I'm in New York, I'm hoping that I can get to to hit a few in the next couple of months. But with uh, with the cost of living here uh, being absolutely insane, um, you got a budget for that, and that part sucks. But we're gonna we're gonna make it happen, and uh, regardless, I'm always gonna be in tune with with football and, and soccer this season, and we certainly have a lot to talk about, right? We, wow, we had a we had a wild weekend in um, in England and in Spain, quite honestly, and there were even a couple games throughout Europe that um, definitely caught our attention. So, Rian, let's let's start off in the Premier League. Let's just start with the the North London Derby. Um, that that was possibly one of the most entertaining games of the season so far yeah definitely it's uh probably the most entertaining premier league game this season so um 
for the, throughout the first four weeks for sure. Yeah, um, it was a it was a really exciting game. It's it is honestly my favorite um, fixture on the schedule. Uh, I mean, it's a lot more fun as a neutral, obviously. But, um, it, it is generally, I think it's the best. Fi- I think it's the best fixture on the on the schedule for the Premier League. I think that's the. I think that's the best rivalry in the um, in the league because just because I think you generally it's very hard to predict those games because no matter how you know you know neither of these, neither of these two teams are ever that great, but neither of them are ever like. Worse than like I don't know above average at least in the last like seven or eight years. So you know it's always sure. really entertaining. It's always really really entertaining whenever they uh, come up against each other in the league. Yeah, I mean that is very true. I for one did expect a lot out of Arsenal as. Those who listened to our last podcast know I did predict a 3-0 win for Arsenal, um, and it did not start <laughs> off that way um, at all. But I was very, very impressed still with Arsenal's performance, right? I think a lot of people will say that this was actually a drop two points for them rather than them picking up a point against the rivals. Because by the time we saw Ganduzi and Ceballos, and I will just harp on this until the end of time, but those two need to start every game if not every big game for for arsenal going forward but once we saw those two come on with Torreira, i thought they played really really well i mean they obviously had a goal ruled off for um offside which again was actually offside uh but at the same time you, you felt like the goal was coming the entire time and you felt like tottenham were on the back foot regardless of what they did and I think that's a very good mentality for them to have. They constantly were pressuring. They're, they constantly were getting forward. They were pushing for that last goal for the winner. Ultimately, they didn't get it. But I was very, very encouraged by what that, what I saw from Arsenal in terms of a footballing perspective and from their attitude. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the performance, if you're looking at the two teams, um, you know, how positive was it? I think from Arsenal perspective, the performance was positive. Um, and then you could say for Tottenham, the result was a positive for them. Right. Um, I think these two teams are, you know, very, very confusing teams. Um, so I'll say overall more positive for Spurs considering their form coming to that game. Right. Um, they hadn't really played well in the last two or three matches in the league before that game. But, you know, in the context of the match where, where they're leading to nothing after half an hour, um, half an hour, 40 minutes, uh, really two goals that were, I mean, they were they were pretty mindless individual errors from Arsenal. Right. The first first goal. Is, uh, I don't blame Leno. I just want to point that out now. I'm I'm just going to say I don't blame Leno for the first goal. Uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, I, I, you I might disagree. Even, but... I, I do disagree, but that that wasn't even the error that I was necessarily talking about. Um, oh. The on the goal kick from um, Loris, you know, you see Socrates come up and try to challenge a header with Jaka. <laughs> No, um, dude, Socrates so- doesn't have a brain. He's <laughs> David Luiz. You know, like that was I, – I, okay, so we – Rihanna and I both played soccer in high school, right? 
and I've seen better defending on that field than I did. I'm not going to go that far, but no, I'm going to go that far. That was ridiculous. Like terrible positioning. Uh, whatever. Continue. No, no, but, but agree that it was, that it wasn't even, it wasn't even just the positioning per se. It was the fact that, you know, Jacques is going for the ball with, with Harry Kane. Right. And, you know, I was watching match of the day. They literally show Xhaka telling him, <laughs> telling Socrates that he's got like the ball. He's got it right before the ball gets played. He's telling him to move back, and for some reason, he still comes and tries to play that ball. So it pops over. It, he misses it, and then that causes David Luiz to step into the midfield to try to challenge Son, and then they're both out of position, and then. You know, you get the uh, the shot. You end up getting the shot from Son that you know Leno. It's it's a mistake. It is a mistake. He he parries it. Doesn't parry it wide enough for one, and he doesn't get up quick enough. Uh, granted, the getting up quick enough would be tough, but he he it's still a bad rebound that he leaves. And the whole reason that Erickson is even there is because Socrates is out of position and doesn't sprint back to try to get in front of um, Erickson. So I, I would say that. You know that that's that's a really bad error, and then the second goal is you know it's just the it's it's the consequences of having, having Granite Xhaka on the final <laughs> eleven. It's it, it's it makes no sense why this is, why he keeps starting him. It just doesn't Did, make any sense. Um, I mean, does that does that sort of make a case um without Torreira even stepping on the field did that almost make a case for Xhaka to to be on the bench for the next game or to I guess not necessarily be in the starting lineup all the time yeah no I mean I <laughs> I can't I can't tell if being sarcastic because you know what I think about them <laughs> no I know but I'm, I'm saying do we actually see that change because we haven't seen you know Emery actually make that yeah. change but I'm I'm wondering if he actually sees that and he goes Oh, oh my god! Like that yeah. was that was the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no what that But I want to say yes. But why? Why should I think that? You know, he played him. He saw this man playing against Liverpool. He played him in just about every big game last season. So, like, why? I don't know why I would think that he that it's that's going to change anything, right? Um, he played him with Torreira in this game. You know, so. I, I'm going to be honest. I I went straight towards overall that actually wasn't that positive for either team, um, but you know, it's honestly I think a little worse for Tottenham because, like I said, those two goals were individual errors, right? So I didn't think they. I thought they played very well to start the game. But let's see, after the first, like, half hour or so, um, they really got outplayed, like, completely outplayed for the last, let's say, 50 to 60 minutes of the game. Um, and, you know, they're, like I said, the two goals were off of air. So I think Arsenal would be disappointed with the result because they could have won the game in the in the second half. But Tottenham might be, uh, might, Tottenham might be a little happier with the result for sure. Going to going to the Emirates and winning that game, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually the the crucial part is that in the return leg now they get to turn around and go back to White Hart Lane, which is huge, right? Like anytime you play at home, you're destined to have a better chance just 
because of that alone. And so I think they, they were the luckier ones in this game. They were able to sustain the pressure. They got away and quite literally, I think they got away with this, with this point. I don't think I'm hesitant to say I, uh, that they didn't earn the point, but their performance was not worthy of a tie. They are a better team to, they should be a better team and should not have played the way they did this past weekend. And while I do think they still finish above Arsenal um, in, in the table come May, this wasn't very reminiscent of a team that is destined to do that. Um, so I, th- I think they, they still should be more concerned going forward. But I agree, this was a more positive result for, for Tottenham based on performances. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you feel the same way as I do, but do you, do you find these two teams very confusing? I, I, I like really feel (laughs) compared to the rest of the top six from last season in terms of their performance in the first four weeks. And granted it is still the first four weeks of the season. Um, They, I find them the two most confusing teams out of the six because, you know, I think we're getting what we what we knew we were going to get from Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, both teams could easily be on twelve points after four games, and you would and I would actually, you know, we, we think that you know on a, on another day City beats Tottenham by like four one four nothing in that game, right? Right. Um, and you know, we didn't feel that great about Manchester United coming into the season anyway, so I don't feel that. Um, surprised about what you know how that's going so far uh Chelsea we knew the limitations coming to the season with them right being young losing Hazard no transfers right these two teams you know they actually had pretty decent transfer windows um you know I don't know do you feel the same way I do in terms of the confusion with that in terms of just the um, performances have been confusing um, to a sense. Yes and no. I think it's confusing in terms of results, not necessarily performances. And here's why I say that. I think Spurs have been more confusing. Well, Spurs, I think, is more confusing than Arsenal here because while they did have good signings over the summer, obviously they missed out on what supposedly was supposed to be a Dybala deal. Um, we'll never know, I guess. But they played well last season they're a team that has proven that they can play well at a high level right they it, it shouldn't be a regression based on that that we should not see a downward spiral just two three months later the only changes that they made were adding was adding more depth right it, it's not like it's a brand new team they didn't you know go trade in a pathfinder for a Lamborghini or something or vice versa in this case. But I'm very confused by, by the performances. I think what Pochettino did last year was really, really impressive in, in being able to develop a team and improve the individual qualities of each player and allowing them to develop more attacking style than I believe I'd seen in pre- previous years where I think Arsenal are a little more confusing is that on paper they have a great team, but they're not actually putting in the results. So I think they're they're different problems, but at the end of the day you see the same type of 
result, which is not always a positive one for each team. Yeah, I think I think I would agree with you um, on those. Like Arsenal's tactics slash lineup has been the most confusing thing to me for the first four game, first four weeks. Right, Emery himself has made confusing decisions. <laughs> right, right. Um, even in this game, you know, he, he does finally play those front three, but then he plays a very um, defensive midfield on paper there, right? You know, it, it doesn't. There wasn't a lot of link up play between that midfield and um, and front three really until Ceballos came in, right? For for the most part, because um, Ceballos is the goat. No, not really. Well, he's, he's, what he's he's what they needed in that match, right? Exactly. Um, and he's and I think he's really what they need um, going forward if they're going to play that front three because. Um, Grant still super early, so I, I don't want to make any sort of um, definitive um, opinion on 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 uh, or prediction on on how that front three will work. But you know, it's the same question that you know, just overarching I, I've had, and you know, and we, um, if you got to read that that um, athletic article where where they talked about this too, you know, that front three needs to be. S- for that to work, it needs to be um, something like Liverpool's, right? Where you, where you have someone who's going to sacrifice, and and I, I'm not sure, still not sure who that's going to be. Um, and I don't necessarily think it'll be Lacazette. I, um, he's he's not going to play like Firmino. He's not the he's not that's not the type of player he is, um, and they shouldn't ask him to be that way. Uh, so you know. Th- the tactics has been confusing on Arsenal's side, but uh, Tottenham, the confusion has just been the whole atmosphere around the club, right? Um, the discomfort of the manager. Uh, you had this week, really, after the derby, I think it might have been yesterday or Monday, you have Ericsson saying that he doesn't regret wanting to leave over the summer, that he does want that he legitimately does want like a new challenge and doesn't want to leave the team. So there's, there's that. And then you have the granted We said they had a decent transfer um, summer, right? But it was also kind of a half-assed effort, you know, because they're coming into the season where they sell off their starting right back from last year and leave themselves to rely on Walker Peters Davinson Sanchez, who's not originally a center back or a right back, and Serge Aurier at that position. So that part's that that part's confusing for me too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I definitely get what you're saying, and I think that athletic article was actually interesting. Going back to Arsenal, mm-hmm. I don't know who it is that's going to sort of sacrifice themselves, but I I have a feeling that it's actually not going to be one individual person each time. I think it can definitely evolve over time because I do think that all three of them are dynamic in their own sense. And I think, honestly, the least dynamic person in that front three is probably Aubameyang because he's more of... Yeah, I don't think he's dynamic. I wouldn't say that all three of them are dynamic. I, well, no. I, I do think that Lacazette and Pepe are dynamic forwards and more dynamic wingers than, and that sort of sense. But... I think Aubameyang can serve as sort of a target point instead of a running in between the lines type forward. And that might allow at times Pepe and Lacazette to find space in front of the 
the trailing center back, but it, it's going to come down to how they understand each other on the pitch as well as how Unai Emery sets up the midfield behind them because it's going to depend on what sort of spaces and what sort of half spaces that Ceballos, Torreira, Ganduzi take up behind them because it's not going to be as simple as, okay, I'm going to pass the ball to Pepe on the wing. Pepe's going to cut inside. He's going to play it across to the other wing, play it through to Aubameyang, and you have a shot. It's just not that simple. And even me talking that through wasn't simple enough. So it, it it's definitely up in the air, and, and it, it well, it's confusing. Yeah, no, it, it is it is up in the air, and there's still the whole season left. Yeah, I, I think just overarching um, as concern slash curiosity is the fact that Aubameyang and Lacazette are very central players. Like, neither of them are, are real wingers. Like, Aubameyang exactly. is not good enough as a dribbler to be a winger. Um, and Lacazette is not pacey enough to be a winger. Like, he, he's, he's not slow, but, you know, he's not, he's not necessarily the guy that runs, that makes the runs in behind. Like, we saw his goal. Like, he's great with his feet. Um, his, two, his goals this season have been, you know, with the defender like on him or in front of him and stuff. So that's, so it's, his game is not running him behind the, the line. Um, you know, I, I just try to like, yeah, this, this three has so much talent. Um, I just try to think about how, how it's going to work um, just tactically because it's perfect how it is at Liverpool. Cause those, cause Salah and Mane are like natural inverted wingers. So, right. And, and yeah. that's, and that's not, um, Aubameyang is not a natural inverted winger. Pepe is, yes, but Aubameyang is not. So, so it'll be interesting to see how how they work. I really want to see how they try to make it work. It'll. It's. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's like a as perfect of a fit as uh, Liverpool's and and you know really good front threes that we've seen in the past. Right. Right. Well, I'm excited to see how they develop going forward, and I hope you know I am resorts and everything out tactically because i do think that the front three or the potential of this front three is very very high but moving on to a different set of front threes and discombobulated teams um have have chelsea won a game this season or have united won a game this season i mean you tell me i don't want to i don't want to make fun of your wonder boys or whatever is left of like i said united um (laughs) but i'm I'm not – I can't say I'm entirely surprised by this, but I'm still a little surprised. I, I'm, I'm going to be – honestly, I'm really not surprised by either of these two teams <laughs> starting the season. I mean, dude, <laughs> United, United for sure because like, their best player, we still don't think that he actually wants to be at the team, right? And he hasn't been very good to start the season. He literally seems he's either he's one of two things. Um, when I've been watching them, he's one of two things. He either doesn't really care that much, right, about this season, and will kind of drift in and out of games. One or two, he is injured. It's like one of those two things because he doesn't look. Whenever I watch it. It doesn't look like he's ever going full speed in during the entire game. And granted, you know, sometimes a lot of times he doesn't look like that because he's 
No, because it just doesn't. It's everything's so easy for him. So sometimes it's because things are so easy for him. But he seems like either he's injured, which I think he actually might be, um, or well, he actually I think he pulled out of France's um, team for the for the national break. So hopefully that's actually it. Is that he's injured? Um, but it, I let's just start with United. I'm not too surprised at them. Like Maguire has. I think really helped their defense, but they didn't address their midfield over the summer. Really. Um, they still don't really have anyone who can effectively link their midfield and attack. Uh, they still have Juan Mata, but Juan Mata's, you know, he's, he's, he's past his prime. <laughs> Just put it that way. You think? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Juan Mata. I love him from his time at Chelsea. So I, I won't go, I won't be too down on him, but you know, he, she shouldn't be relied upon anyway on by any of the top six teams if he was on them right now. Also fair, yeah. I listen. <sighs> United. I told you at the beginning of the season they're not going to finish top six. Will I be right about Wolves finishing sixth? Probably not at this point. But I still think that United will not finish sixth. Maybe Leicester will take their place or Everton or something. But. United don't have any good players beyond Pogba, maybe Rashford, maybe Martial, and I don't consider Lingard in that category right now. I would put Harry Maguire in that category, but in terms of people that can win you games, um, I guess you can argue, sure, defense wins you games, wins you titles, whatever. But outside of those four, maybe five players, that team's not good. I'm sorry. They're just not. They're not up to bar with being a top four, top six team easily in terms of talent. They don't have enough enough depth going forward. They don't have anyone that I think shines right now in, in coming up and being able to make a dent into the first team or that Solskjaer has, has at, at least attempted consistently to to showcase. Um, Juan Basaka has obviously been a highlight for them going forward. Or like, well, really going forward, even though he isn't necessarily in, in he's been uh, good. I, I think he's, he's, been, he's been good. But he's not, my point is he's not like a, a sole attacking player. And, and I do think he's had a good start to the season. Um, I think but, he's been good defensively for them too, though. Right, right, exactly. And that's why I think, right, Harry Maguire and, and Juan Basaka being the two possible um, other players outside of Pogba, Martial and, and, and Rashford um, that are actually good. Um, but like, that's that's not a team that's going to win you anything. Like I hate to break it to them, but they're not winning anything this year. They, they don't have the talent. And in regards to Pogba, I I think that's actually a huge mistake on his part. If he, I know he is injured because he pulled out of the, the French national team for their national break, but it, it's just the way that he's been playing. If you want to choose, let's say his attitude, his mentality is not up to par with being a top elite player, which he obviously can't be then you're inherently decreasing your value to any club that wants to come and get you. Will Real Madrid come from next season? Probably. But will they want to actually spend that kind of money if he puts in those performances now? I'm not so sure. I'm still convinced that they will try to sign him next summer, but it's not like you're doing anything to your value or showcasing your skills to – a potential new club by playing the way you are. No, I, I think that's, I, I agree. I, I totally agree. It's, 
it's just very disappointing to watch him play <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and just talking about generally like good players on their team. I, I think you're right for the most part. Um, I saw a great tweet on, on uh, Saturday where someone talked about uh, Andrea, Andrea Pereira. Who's yeah. yeah. They, they said he, he's a textbook uh, kid who looks like he's very good at soccer. Cause he's got the dope boots. He's got the hairstyle, <laughs> like, you know, generally looks pretty athletic, but then you watch him play and he's actually not particularly good at anything. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think that like really well sums up a fair amount of this team. If I'm going to be honest, the say, I think the same thing about like McTominay. Um, I think, the I just think up top it's weird right I, I think I do think like the uh, partnership of Martial and Rashford could be good um I think they're kind of too homogenous like you know they're they're they they look to do the same thing for the most part on the on the pitch um although Rashford might be a bit of a better of a passer but like then they throw in like Lingard who doesn't make any sense playing like in like playing in the number 10 role cuz he's not he's just not a good enough passer for that role and so, I mean I could have stopped you at not good enough but yeah whatever yeah <laughs> yeah I, I generally don't think he's I generally generally don't think he's very good in general but um <laughs> but you know I I think overall not surprised by their start at all so well I'll I'll get off their back for right now but I'm not surprised at all about United's start now Chelsea, yep. on the other hand, um, <laughs> I mean, still, I, I, I maybe slightly surprised, um, especially just, you know just not being able to get a win against Sheffield. Um, that that is probably surprised. That is probably a bigger surprise. But overall, you know, they just they fielded their youngest starting eleven ever in the Premier League era on on us uh, Sunday or Saturday. Um, so. You know, am I surprised that they're not able to hold on to a two 0 lead? Am I surprised that I'm a little surprised that maybe how like Zuma is playing? I'm maybe, I'm maybe surprised. <laughs> that, um, I'm surprised a bit at how much you know Aspilicueta has deteriorated. Um, you know, and he's he's 31, so you know he's just kind of off it now. That's that's the sad thing. Like one of the one of the sad things that, you know, you'll see in like Chelsea Twitter and, and Reddit, um, you know, he, he's, you can see him. He knows his mind knows what he wants to do and stuff, but his body just can't really do it anymore. You know, he was really at fault for, especially the first goal got absolutely rinsed by, by uh, one of the marauding center backs of Sheffield on the right way, on the wing, you know, just got beat on the wing by, by a center back. So, yeah. Um, so it's it's that I, I honestly am just not surprised because the team is so young and and you know the manager is in his second season so so I, I what are your what are your thoughts on how surprised you are? Well, I'm more surprised by the results than I am by the performance because I actually don't think that their performances have been half bad. They've been putting goals or balls in the back of the net they've been scoring goals they've been creating chances i think they've actually looked fresh going forward and they do have young depth in mason mountain tammy abraham so that part is exciting it's just a shame that they haven't been able to translate translate that into actual results and i do like the way that generally frank lampard has set up the team although 
I do think it's a little too reliant currently on N'Golo Conte. And maybe this is because he is such an outstanding player in, in the holding position and his tackling and his tracking back is second to none. But when you have him being both the defensive force and the creative force in large parts of the game uh, going forward, I think that imbalances the team a little bit too much because then you leave you sort of leave the other two midfielders that are being played with um, out on a, on a limb in a way, because if they're not tracking back, then they're going forward, but they're clearly not doing it well enough, which is why Conte is, has been stepping into that role a little bit. Um, so maybe that's part of the problem, but defensively I think is, is the biggest concern for them. Kurt Zuma, I thought before he left on loan was actually a decent center back. Um, and I, and I do still think he is, I just don't think he's been able to prove that just yet at back at Chelsea. Um, I, I just still have high hopes for him, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you on the, on the performances stuff. It's this past weekend, the, uh, Expected goals in that game was two point two eight to zero point nine nine for Chelsea, so, so it's, it's actually a little unlucky. Yes, stats don't uh, don't compare with own goals. No, they they don't. Well, well the, yeah, the own goal goes in as as like a zero point zero in terms of expected goals because it was just a cross. But um, of course, but yeah, you know, it's I I think uh, I think the performances have been all right. Um, also, I say they're fourth in expected points right now, too. So the things are, I think things are a little, I think things are uh, about where I would have expected, maybe slightly worse. But no, I, I think uh, after the international break, they should be getting a few guys back from injuries. Still think, still believe that the second half of this season for this team is really going to tell. Um, really going to be a good tell of how good the young players slash the manager is overall. So, you know, we've got two very, very confusing teams or not confusing two teams that are underachieving by, you know, historical, their historical standard. But I think in terms of talent, probably not, not too far off. I mean, that's fair. I'll, I'll give you that. Like, I, uh, like they aren't, they aren't crapping the bed per se. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like they should be ringing the alarm bells for instance, but I do think that they have room to grow. I just hope to see them actually get the results that they deserve. Well, quote unquote deserve from, from the upcoming games. Cause they don't have easy games coming. No, up. they don't. They play. Yeah, they do not I mean, neither of these two teams do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, and a couple of those teams that they are actually playing, um, the two best teams in England, right? Liverpool and City. Just picking up another three points. Uh, honestly, I think they were very straightforward three points. They were. They I, were. Thought, I thought they, they both put in solid performances, although they both didn't get clean sheets. Uh, I don't believe so. It, it, it It's... It's an interesting question that that you kind of posed to me earlier um, and you wanted to, to talk about whether or not they're the best two teams in Europe. Um, I don't I don't know. I I I want to say yes, but a, 
I, I don't know. I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts. Your bias is holding you back, buddy. <laughs> you, your, your bias is holding you back. You have no argument. There's no <laughs> argument as to why these aren't the two best teams in Europe. There's literally there's no real argument that I can listen to from anyone that these aren't the two best teams in Europe. <laughs> I would argue yeah. that I yeah <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. There's there's no no one can convince me that these aren't the two best teams in Europe right now. Honestly, um, we've talked about City's depth, um, and you know Liverpool just have been very solid to start the season. You know? Now, well, there'll be a better gauge of this, obviously when we go into the next international break, because then we'll have had Champions League games and whatnot. But, you know, these teams just stroll along to another three points. Uh, granted, they weren't playing great teams, but, you know, they've also showed, on top of getting the points that, that uh, they're supposed to, they've also showed in their in each of their games against top six teams that they're much better than, than, the, than the rest of at least the top six from last year, so... True. Yeah. True. Yeah. I can't. I can't disagree with you. I. Yeah. I mean. I. I guess. I guess I can concede that they're the two best teams in Europe, followed, of course, by. Well, you know what? I won't even say it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, I can hold yeah. back. I don't think there's an of course for anyone. <laughs> yeah, there isn't. That's the problem. Don't worry. We'll get to that before I go on my freaking rant yeah. in about five minutes. Yeah. But yeah. Um. I. I do think they're the two best teams in Europe. They have continued their run uh, since or from last season. Obviously, both of them winning major trophies. Obviously, both of them playing at a very, very high level. I don't know what more there is to say about them other than their incredible consistency. And I think it is incredibly impressive that they have been able to keep up like this. Liverpool almost not recruiting, especially. That's that's kind of the, the biggest thing. Um I do hope they get Allison back um, soon because during that Arsenal game, uh, while I, I'm not a Liverpool fan, I had heart palpitations just watching the goals um, or I guess the shots against Adrian. And um, I do hope Allison comes back soon. But yeah, they're, they're two very capable teams. I expect them to do very well in the Champions League. I expect them to do very well in the league. That's kind of it, honestly. Yeah. No, no, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Uh, just taking a look at the table after the first four games, going into this first international break, if Liverpool first with twelve points, City sitting second, ten. Then you have Leicester, you know, uh, a team that can definitely that can definitely probably going to challenge for top six this season um, on eight. Then you have <laughs> Crystal Palace in fourth, uh, and what? yeah, Crystal Palace in fourth. Tied on tied on points with uh, Arsenal and Everton and uh, West Ham, so that's your four through seven there, all on seven points. Uh, and then United in eighth, Tottenham in ninth, and Chelsea in eleventh, uh, all with five points there. So, well, there you go. We'll see the table definitely spread out a little bit more yeah. as we head towards Christmas, but that's uh, that's a look at the table for now. And uh, with that, we're gonna take a quick break before we start up again and discuss some La Liga, a disappointing team for my Barcelona and the international break coming up. All right, we're back. I'm not exactly pleased right now. I was just talking to Rian during the break. 
<sighs> it was a long, long weekend. <laughs> long, long weekend. And why, Ellis? Why? Rian, 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 let me, okay, Rian, just listen to me for a second. Barcelona, Asasuna, at a very, very difficult away, away stadium, El Sadar, I will give it to them, Asasuna, are a tough place to go to, but, and this is a huge but, this Barcelona team has the ability to beat any team in La Liga. I hope I, so. I hope so. That, that, that don't just, just <laughs> let me just. <sighs> it's kind of you kind of need to if you're going to win the league, right? You you need to you need be, to be able, able to, right? to no no no. <laughs> I will I will listen. Every team loses points throughout the season, whether it's from a loss or from a draw. They lose points unless you're obviously Arsenal way back when. But to not even create. A single shot on goal in the first half of this game is absurd. Like, I understand that pretty much two out of your top three attackers are missing and one of them is the greatest of all time. I I understand that. But while Asasuna are a decent team and were just promoted through the Segunda and they finished first last season there... I would still expect this team to play well, right? I'm not even talking about goals for a second. Just in terms of passage of play, I should not have to see Frankie de Jong playing left wing. Frankie <laughs> de Jong is a center mid slash central defensive midfielder that can play in tandem with Busquets. I should not have to see Griezmann get 30 touches in one game, tied for his lowest amount of touches since he's been at Atletico. I should not have to see a 16-year-old youth player come on to try and save this team to try and get three points. He was the highlight of the weekend, and he's 16. I oh, Valverde's driving me nuts. I can't stand the way this man plays anymore. And I'm not I'm not the person that's just going Valverde out, Valverde out. It, it's like I've been watching a slow regression from the last couple of years only to be saved by Messi all the time. I've seen a team that has been lacking in, in energy and in attitude and in not necessarily ability but tactical flaws because of the tactics aren't playing to the player's strengths, right? Players are being played out of position. Players don't have balls that they can play to create diamonds or to create open passes or to create open space. No one is moving as fluidly as they used to during what is known as the quote-unquote Barcelona way. That's not what I'm seeing anymore, and that's the part that bothers me. It's not even the results. It's the way that they're playing. And they can't continue playing like this because there are five points behind Atletico Madrid and this is a deep hole already. And I'm not over-exaggerating that. And obviously the season's long and everything like that. But the way that Atletico is playing is much more impressive. And we'll get to that in a little bit, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm scared a little bit for, for this team. Obviously, I'm assuming Messi will come back and Suarez will come back for the next game after the international break. But that is already a tough, tough test because... The, the the schedule for the next two games are Valencia and Dortmund, both of whom are very good teams. And so they better get their shit together before those next two games. And 
by God, they better start playing well because the way the way they played against Real Betis is the way that I would want to see every game played. They came out so energetic and it looked like they had a desire to win and they were moving so well. But next weekend, go to Asasuna, tie 2-2. Uh, all right, I feel a little better now. Thank you for letting me get yeah, that off of my chest. Of course, I feel yeah. good now. Woo. I don't know how. I was like, four minutes. Me going on. <laughs> so great. No, I mean, you know, there. I guess there's a couple things for me. It's tough to watch this this midfield from from Barcelona, especially. You know, <laughs> this has to be like maybe the least, at least through the first. Four, four years. This has to have been like one of the least inspires, inspiring stretches for uh, a Barcelona midfield that I that I've seen in years in like a very very long time. There, we've been so used to seeing, you know, great control, not just great control of possession, but great tempo and um, and solidity in that in that position, right? But everything just seems so. It's it's like you're pulling at strings, you know, to to get the ball forward, to you know, get the ball moving with a little pace. And then my second thing is the whole Messi and Suarez coming back. I I hope people don't think that they're gonna come back and magically things are gonna change. I, I mean, granted, it's absolutely possible because you know Messi comes back, is you know the the best player in the world you know you you'd expect things to change a lot but there's a fundamental problem with the team you know he's gonna right. come back and the, granted, they're gonna look more fluid through the front three you're hoping because i you know how i still i'm not sure how griezmann is fitting into this team into this front three um but them coming back is not necessarily going to help that midfield three unless Messi is going to be ready to just drop in and basically put make it a four-man midfield at times right so, yeah so you know I'm really really interested to see what's going to happen when those guys come back um but you're right yeah I, I would be concerned I'd be concerned because five points is is a lot, especially when you're talking about for any of those like the big three teams in La Liga, being five points behind at any point is is bigger than in most other leagues because the teams will be a little more consistent, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, yeah. Let me, more let me consistency. Well, let me put it to you this way, right? Just in terms of vision for the future, let's say that every game outside of the two games that Atletico and Barcelona play each other, that they are tied on points, right? Just just number of points accrued. Right. That that means that Barcelona have to beat Atletico twice that to win the league. That that's literally it, right? It, it that's nuts. That <laughs> to, to try and rely on a team, a different team to drop points is not a way to win a league. That's how you put yourself in trouble. And I know I might sound crazy for thinking this this early and I know Atletico will drop points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not encouraging when you see this. And I don't think that Messi will come back and 
you know, use his magic wand to make everything better. Because if anything, I think his presence also covered a lot of deep cracks in this team last season. I think the midfield fluidity has suffered greatly. While I think De Jong is an amazing player and I think he can change those things, he can't change those things if he's, one, being played out of position and, two, not being fed the ball, right? If you're structurally set up improperly, then you're bound to fail from the beginning. You're not you're going to succeed that way. So I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, no, I, it's it's going to be really, like I said, really interesting. Um, the thing that worries me the most about Barcelona is out of the, or at least out of Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, there was far more turnover for Atletico. So you can only assume that they're going to become more in sync as a team and gel more the more they play together. Um, right. Yeah. So that's what would worry me more, you know, is that you still have that to come and they're finding a way to win games already. Right. They're, they're, they haven't been that great performance wise to start the season, but they won all three of those games. So, right. Right. That's, that's the biggest thing. Right. In even looking at their game from this past weekend against Ibar and they, they were at the, the Wanda and, when you look at that game, I don't think there was ever a point where I thought, you know what, I think Atletico are going to lose this game. Even though they were down in the hole, 2-0, they had to make a huge comeback. They scored one started right after the second half. Right. A second one, okay, they're back in it. And after having goals disallowed, lo and behold, 3-2, and they win the game. Because Why? Because it's Cholo. Of course they're going to put up a fight. Of course they're going to actually try and go out and win. They will do anything they can to, to get three points. And that that sort oh, God, it's just – it's impressive. It's impressive to see what they've done in such a short amount of time with, with the players that they have. While I, I – well, okay, let me – we talked about this at the beginning of the season, right? They lost their best player in Griezmann. They lost their defensive force in Godin, right? They lost – Rodri in midfield. They they lost the core of this team, and they are still top of the well, not actually top of the leagues because technically Sevilla are, but they are near the top of the table because they are playing that well. And if a team like Atletico, who lost all their core players, are able to do that, I have no reason to think why Barcelona should not. Other than the fact that they are tactically set up the wrong way. And I think that is down to Valverde, which is why I wouldn't be opposed to see him go. My only concern is who replaces him. And if I had to pick a name for myself personally, I would love Kike Setien to be the next coach of Barcelona. But this is a conversation for once we get knocked out in the group stages of the Champions League. <laughs> oh, oh, chill out. <laughs> chill out. <laughs> but, you know, there's something that I think you're not considering here that could also explain this change of fortune for between Madrid and uh, Barcelona. You're not going to pull a UE you theory said, thing on me, are you? You said Atletico Madrid lost their best player over the se- summer, correct? Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, geez. Where, oh, my God. Well, I think... Well, like I said, after the first game of the season, I said that I was starting to open the file on Mr. Griezmann. Oh, Jesus. 
You know, we're you know, we hear the uh, we hear. I knew this was coming too. I should have uh, seen this. We're we're starting to we're starting to put a couple more things in that file. We're we're starting to uh, do a little bit more of analysis on this. So we're our ears are firmly perked after the first three <laughs> weeks of Mister of how important Mister Griezmann really was to that uh, Madrid team. You cannot tell me that Griezmann was not well, important. He was to very important, but. In terms of Ewing theory, you know he's knocking on the door. He's he's knocking on Harry Kane's door right now. Honestly. Oh my God! I, all right. First off, that's a ridiculous comparison because Griezmann has actually scored goals for Barcelona already, right? And he showed the player and the quality that he has, especially in that Betis game uh, last weekend. Granted, I think that he had obviously a very poor performance this past weekend and in the game he's had two pretty poor performances yeah Yeah. two out of three i i agree with you but i'm a firm believer that once you showcase the sort of talent that you have or the ability to to be the player that you have been whether it's at atletico or in that specific batiste game that i'm talking about then you have the ability to reach that level consistently and it's just a matter of A, setup, and B, development and understanding. Because he's been in this team for like, what, two months during preseason and three total official games. That's not a lot of time to adjust from a very different system. Granted, it's a crap system under Valverde, but it's a different system. And I will allow him a little bit of leeway because he is playing with Carlos Perez and now, well, Rafinha has gone on loan to, to Celta Vigo, but was playing with Rafinha. So now it's a question of who's going to feed him the ball. It's going to be Leo Messi and Luis Suarez and vice versa. So it's it's a little bit of a, of a difference, um, uh, a gap difference in what's it called, talent. And I hope that once they come back, that we will see an even more improved Griezmann. Yeah, hopefully, you hope. But yeah, yeah. He, nevertheless, the, U, the Ewing theory cares not for the... Uh, the star player's performance on the other team. It's really all about how his old team does. So I don't know. It's just it's some. It's uh. I will keep filing it away. My dossier <laughs> is getting bigger by the week on that one. But, all right. But again, all right. Three points. Three points. I let it go. They really they fought back from two from two nil down. Uh, yep. Like like you said, like you said, you know, you always going to expect that from from a team coached by Diego Simeone. So, you know. Exactly. Exactly. While Ibar I I thought did play well, um it's hard to rule out Atletico when they're when their backs are up against the wall. And um I do want to before we move on to Real Madrid and their crap performance, um I do want to shout out Artur who had a great game uh once he came on against Osasuna last weekend scoring a goal as well. Uh, his first official goal for the club, but yeah, we gotta we gotta make some changes and start our tour now because he, <laughs> he did not start that game, and I think him, De Jong, and Busquets should both or all three should be starting together. Um, but we'll see after the international break who starts at Valencia. I'm excited for that. But anyway, Real Madrid—that's the only thing keeping me happy this weekend. Getting a draw against an even more struggling side in Villarreal. Um, and quite honestly, it's a, it's a shame to see Villarreal is struggling this much again as they did last season. Um, they are just above relegation. They have, I believe, two points, uh, one of which came against Real Madrid, as it did last season. And I, I don't even know where to start with 
with the Gareth Bale saga in this. <laughs> Saving um, Zidane. This is, this is amazing. How the turntables, indeed. Literally, literally. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just... Th- this man came out, scored two goals, and in the best fashion, just got himself an extended holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. That in, was, that in was... Just like the most hilarious way. Like... He got what two quick yellow cards and was like, "Okay, so I can book a three week golf trip now." Like that's <laughs> perfect, amazing. Um, Real Madrid are showing the same signs um, of struggling as they did last season. Their midfield seems to be showing a little bit of a lack of edge. Um, that's the the biggest thing that I would say about them. Now, the interesting thing coming back from the international break is going to see who starts in those big games coming up for them in the Champions League especially because Hazard will be coming back from his injury. Um, he did post a picture on Instagram saying he's he's almost recovered. He's getting there. It's almost been a month now since he's been out. Um, so he's not working his way back. Luka Jovic had a good game uh, against Villarreal this past weekend as well. Um, Benzema was also involved but obviously did not score but consistently is starting for this Real Madrid Real Madrid team regardless of of who you want to put in the starting lineup and Vinicius so it's kind of interesting to say who's who's going to start for them up front I'm I'm very interested to see because yeah. I think their perfect front four front three would be Hazard, Benzema and Bale on paper but in reality, it might be something closer to Benzema Hazard Vinicius, depending on your interpretation, and maybe drop bail. But I don't know who. If you were Zinedine Zidane, who would you who would you start up front? I, so he he basically played a four four two over the weekend with Jovic and Benzema up top, and then Vasquez and Bale as his wingers there, and then obviously uh, Cruz and Casemiro in the middle. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't play the for that formation um with if you if you're thinking of putting hazard and bale on the wings there in a 4-4-2 i probably wouldn't do that because that leaves a lot to be desired defensively and leaves a lot of pressure on cruz and casemiro um so i i i'd like i would generally like to see jovic play more but um i don't think you can start him over benzema um, right, at least not right now, not at this stage of the season or uh, or his career, I suppose. Um, so I think we'll we'll end up seeing Bale, Benzema, uh, Hazard, and that will be pretty good <laughs> on paper, uh, obviously yeah. on paper. But you know that's not necessarily where they, their problems have been. You know, because they've been doing both. They've been conceding as well. Ramos has not had a good start to the season. Um, right, right. And that's, that's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. But, <laughs> yes, I, I agree. And I think the the biggest problem, going back to their midfield issues, is the fact that they don't have a direct replacement for Casemiro anymore, right? Lorente is now gone, and so he's gone across the city. But they don't have a natural successor or someone that in the case that he gets injured that can come in and take his place. I guess you could argue Federico Valverde could be that player, but he's a little bit out of position. So if, if that happens, their midfield depth and their midfield fluidity 
already takes an even bigger hit. So I'm not very hopeful for their um, their Champions League, League or Cup hopes this season, like I said at the beginning of the season. Um, and I'm only being proven further by, by this result. So we'll see how they do when they get back uh, from the international break because we have one La Liga match week and then we have a Champions League game for them uh, on the 18th against PSG um, while they are playing Levante um, in the league, which in my opinion should be three points. Levante are actually a decent team, but it's going to be interesting that PSG match. I think that's their first big, big test of the season. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, they're, they're an interesting team. They're always, there's always drama, but you know, right now they just don't look like, they don't look like the real Madrid that we seen the last or barring last season. Um, you know, Four years, the, the, at least during the Ronaldo years. Maybe I mean during the Ronaldo years, they don't look they don't look like like the team that we saw during the Ronaldo years. At least the last four seasons, um, or any of the Zidane seasons, really. So they're they're in a bit of a they're in a bit of an identity crisis right now. I think a, a little bit, and I think yeah. the most interesting part is that the fans and. Uh, Florentino Perez are both a little bit more willing to turn on Zidane this time around because it seems as though they almost need someone to blame for these these poor performances and results and while that man did bring them three Champions League trophies in a row that was there was only one league in that and on top of that he's coming back at a time where he was supposed to be this angelic savior for them in a time of need and by coming back i i fear that he's one ruining that image a little bit and two not actually going to last the entire season especially if they don't win silverware this season because that will be two years in a row now with no silverware for this team which is practically unacceptable comparing to where they were coming from just a couple of years ago yeah and just a quick thing on like what i what i'm mean by like that identity crisis you know they they do have you know, Sergio Ramos is a, is a leader 100% he's he is I think you can agree with that he's genuinely a leader on the field but <laughs> what, I, what I mean <laughs> what I mean is you know up top like either in that midfield or in the attacking third you know who are they looking towards to uh to get the goals like because they, they had someone that they could do that for a decade for like a, almost a, almost an entire decade right and then they've lost that and we've seen in the last two seasons that that's they've been having trouble just having someone to rely on and and someone who's gonna step up who's gonna be like i got this right um and that's what you miss when you lose a ronaldo right and i'm just gonna say this we saw it we saw hazard be that kind of guy last season for chelsea yes but if they think he's going to come in and be Ronaldo or even, I don't know, no, if it, that's, that's who they're going to look to him as. I really hope the fans don't look to him as he's going to come in and score the goals and score a boatload of goals like Ronaldo because he's, he's not that type of player. Right, right. And I think that's the, the most amount of pressure that he has to face at Madrid because it was his dream move. We all know that, 
But with that comes that sort of responsibility because there is no way that the fans are going to let him off the hook easy. And while I do wish any good player, especially him, the best, I am very concerned about how Real Madrid fans end up taking the season, especially if they do not win silverware. That is crucial. Um, but hey, it brings joy to my heart, so what do I care? Um, but <laughs> with La Liga sort of wrapping up here, we, we wanted to talk a little bit, uh, a little Serie A and mix it up this weekend, or this week, I should say. Talk a little Napoli-Juve, because that was an absurd game. It seems like both derbies, um, both the North London one and the Italian one, as I call it, because I don't have a name for it, but it was two title contenders in both of our humble opinions, um, just slowly edging one each, one another out before and Koulibaly putting it in the back of his net. Man, I, I feel for that man. I truly feel for that man because I, I think he's one of the most underrated center backs in the entire world. And I think that this was so harsh for him to, to try and soak up because Napoli played well, right? Lozano yeah. got his first goal for the club, but it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I mean, it's an absurd game. Uh, Juventus jumps out to a 3-0 lead, right? Um, Danilo, or yeah, yeah, Danilo scores on basically his, his literally his first touch for the team. He yeah. gets to come on for Desilio, who, who goes off injured. Um, he comes on, scores on his first touch. Um, and, you know, they go 3-0 after 62 minutes, and then Napoli immediately stormed back with Chucky Lozano scoring his first goal for Napoli. Um, and then they, they tied up 3-3 and, <laughs> just, you know, in extra, in uh, added time, Koulibaly, uh, unfortunately, really unfortunately, you know, gets it as an own goal. And, you know, it's a 4-3. It's just an absurd game. You know, um, Games we don't see a lot in Italy. Then it's not necessarily known for fast pace and um, and just a high scoring like that. But you know, this is what you might get in a you know a, a sorry team, a team that's coached by Maurizio Sarri, right? Um, and I think this is like I think this team. There's an interesting thing there. This team is Juventus. It's a shock to them, I think, of, of being this open. They're traditionally not this type of team, which is why the sorry hiring was so um, uh, a little perplexing to some people because he's not the type of coach that they've had in the past. You know, having Allegri, um, a Conte, two guys who are pretty traditional Italian coaches, right? Um, you know, sorry comes from a different mold of Italian of Italian. Uh, managers who likes to be a little more open and you know with a bit more flair but uh i do have to heavy heart my my uh my son delict did not have a great day <laughs> at the office there no he uh, did not yeah yeah that is that was tough he, you know he, I did say before his season, I did think he would start this soon, and he's been forced to start this soon because of the uh, the injury to Chiellini. It's yeah, great, great ACL prediction there, by the way. <laughs> I, no, no, I said he wouldn't. I didn't think he would start this early. I I thought, <laughs> I thought that it would be after a couple of months. So I think I do think it's a little early for him to have to jump into this, especially in a massive a game as this. Although he, he played in big games last season, but. Um, 
for this to be his first start <laughs> is is not, I think, an ideal situation. Um, but you know, not worried about him. But you know, overall, you this. I don't know. I wonder how the Juventus fans are going to feel about that game because they are traditionally not uh, not too fond of being of, of like being a team that concedes like this. So I do wonder how they take to sorry and this new style in general. Yeah. One of the things that I think we both kind of want to point out is that while delict was partially to bring, blame a little bit on almost every Napoli goal, um, it, with it being his first major start, like I'm not very worried. The kid is still literally a teenager. He is still 19 years old. That's right, right? He didn't turn 20 yet. Not uh, like, yet. He's still, yeah, still 19, not 20. Exactly. 20. Exactly. So he 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 has so many years to grow. It's it's kind of insane to think about the fact that he's actually starting in such a big game as well. And I I am not worried at all in the slightest for him. I think he has a very bright future ahead of him. I just hope that this sort of doesn't get to his head because that's sort of the biggest thing when you're playing at that young of an age that you don't want that sort of thought process to, to constantly take up all of the space in your head. Um, but I think he continues to start obviously because unfortunately Chiellini is, is out for a very, very long time, AKA the rest of the season. Um, but I'm very excited for what he can produce for Juventus and what they expect to be a very good run in the champions league. Um, take that for what you will, but I, I still have high hopes for him, but I'm sure that, on the face of every Barcelona fan this weekend, there was just a sly curl in our mouths, just the corner, just a slight smile by him shitting the bed and uh, just just decreasing his value a little bit. So when we go for him in about three years, we'll be able to get him for under 100 mil. <laughs> All right. Sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> why, why not try to find some <laughs> light of hope from this weekend? Just just let me have this one. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Man, but that was definitely an entertaining game that um, that we wanted to touch upon. But with the international break fast approaching and now here, do you, I don't know. I, I personally hate the international break. I called the FIFA virus like a lot of other people. A lot of people, there are a lot of players you know, tending <laughs> to get injured and stuff like that. But what are your thoughts on the international break? I mean, I know you're excited to, to watch some international soccer. I, I just love – I love international – uh, competition in sports in general, so I don't I don't hate it. I think I used to hate it a bit more, but I I don't know. I love I love international um, competition in sports. So, and, and we've got the I love it when there's actually something there now. And and with um, with them kind of doing away with, or at least in Europe, with them pretty much doing away with uh, friendlies during the season. Um, you know, when there's not qualifiers for the World Cup or the Euros or whatever. Um, the Nations League, that's, that stuff was legitimately fun. Um, and then CONCACAF is starting their Nations League as well. So even though those will basically be friendlies for like Mexico and the U.S. But, yeah, pretty much. Um, but, you know, I, I think at least for this year, I'm pretty happy about the international break because we're, we're getting Euro qualifiers. Um, and, you know, just we'll start. I'll start with the Euro before we go into the U.S. national team. Um, you know, now there aren't any, there aren't many great games for the qualifiers, but we've got an awesome one on Friday. We've got Germany and the Netherlands this Friday. That is a great match. Yeah. 
that'll be awesome. We'll get to we'll get to see uh, get to see Delicton and uh, Van Dyke that partnership again in the Dutch team. And you know the Dutch have just been genuinely, you know, they've been a better team. They've been they've you know they, they've been somewhat of disgrace. Um, you know, not making the World Cup. And um, and doing very and not making the Euros either um, in 2016. So, you know, they they've been on a redemption the last couple of years, and and it's cool to keep seeing this team get better and better. Um, you know, because they're also very young, a very young team as well. So, um, that'll be fun. I'll be really happy to see uh, Timo Werner for Germany. He just had coming off a hat trick this weekend for Leipzig. Yeah, um, I had a great game. Yeah, I was so I was. Um, this was this was Friday afternoon actually. I had just gotten in to uh, Manhattan and I was uh, just like I was just sitting in my apartment um, and I was watching this game and man, this guy is. I, I always forget because I've only seen like a few match a few games of him. He is blisteringly quick. There was a goal um, where basically you know he's like three or four yards behind the defender, you know, he touches it past him and a defender is running towards the ball too. And he just absolutely burns him in pace and scores. You know, he's, he's really deadly quick and, and a great finisher too, on top of that. Yeah. He's actually, I believe been on the short list for future potential number nines that Barcelona could sign. Um, and I would not have a problem with that at all. Um, because I do, I do agree with you. Not only is his pace incredible, I think his touch is great. I think that his technical quality is great. His hold up play is, it's okay. Um, but I think his ability to get forward, run past defenders and, and score goals, um, is, is extremely impressive. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's great to watch. Um, so that'll be a great game. That that's definitely one to look out for if, if you happen to be not too uh, busy on a, on Friday around uh, two thirty, I believe is when the game begins. So that'll be a good one for people to tune into. Yeah, absolutely. Any other uh, international break business that you had in mind, other than well, I guess U.S. Men's National Team yes, being back. Yes, that's the one right there. Um, really looking forward to watching this. Great. There's going to be a couple. Um, there'll be a couple guys. There are a couple guys who can make it this uh break uh no way uh uh because of an injury um i th- believe it's a hamstring injury uh so that's that's tough um hopefully he'll be able to be back for champions league games but we'll see um yeah no way uh, uh no tyler adams still recovering from a groin injury but we'll get to see josh Sargent, who scored a really good goal for he scored his first goal actually for Werder bremen this weekend uh 18 year old um american striker who plays in germany so That'll be fun. It'll be it'll be fun because there's a lot of good young guys that finally get called up to the team. Uh, Paxton Pomacall, I think I hope I said his last name right. Uh, he's the number ten for for FC Dallas. He was very good at the uh, under twenty World Cup this this uh, this year for the US. Uh, we'll have Serginho Dest, who's right back for Ajax, also played very well at the at the under twenty World Cup. So I'll be excited to see a couple of these guys, um, especially Dest, because you know. Starting for IX is no small feat <laughs> at 18 as well, um, you know. So that so that'll be really fun to watch him. Uh, hoping that uh, he'll end up choosing the US. Uh, he's for his uh, national ultimate national team choice because he 
could play for the Dutch, but he's never played for them at, at youth level, never been called up or anything like that. Um, it's played for the U.S. at every youth level. So we'll see. I'm really, I'll be really excited to watch this team. Um, now, do I think they'll actually like win these games? We'll see. I'm not, I'm not too worried about <laughs> there it. Is. Yeah, no, no, no. Not too, not too uh, worried about the result, performance that I'm looking at, I'm looking for, really. Right, right. I think development is key. We talked about in one of the very first pods that we had. Seeing the growth of the U.S. men's national team is going to be huge. And uh, leading up to the 2022 qualifiers, well, they better make it, quite frankly. So that's, uh, that's I think, the tea on that. But before we wrap up, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And if you are interested, we also have a mailing list. And I can add your email to our list if you go ahead and email us at theoverlappod at gmail.com. If you are interested, let us know. But be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes as well. And we'll be sure to read out the most recent one on our next pod. So with that, Ellie's here signing off with Rian. Thanks, guys.